My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you. While some people were speaking about how the temple was adorned with costly stones and votive offerings, Jesus said, All that you see here, the days will come when there will not be left a stone upon another stone that will not be thrown down. Then they asked him, Teacher, when will this happen? And what sign will there be when all these things are about to happen? He answered, See that you not be deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time has come. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for such things must happen first, but it will not immediately be the end. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be powerful earthquakes, famines and plagues from place to place, and awesome sights and mighty signs will come from the sky. Before all this happens, however, they will seize and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and to prisons, and they will have you led before kings and governors because of my name. It will lead to your giving testimony. Remember, you are not to prepare your defense beforehand, for I myself shall give you wisdom in speaking, that all your adversaries will be powerless to resist or refute. You will even be handed over by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair on your head will be destroyed. By your perseverance, you will secure your lives. The Gospel of the Lord. What will cause you to lose your faith? Quite a question, huh? As we hear Jesus going through a litany of pretty frightening realities in this gospel passage, that could be the question that he's asking. He used one example that was specific for his day and time and audience, saying to this group of Jewish listeners who would have viewed the magnificent temple in Jerusalem with the same awe and wonder and reverence that we as Catholics have for St. Peter's Basilica at the Vatican in Rome, that that immense structure, which held such an important place in their hearts and their minds, spiritually and culturally, would be utterly destroyed. And when that terrible thing happens, he seemed to be asking them, will that be the thing that caused you to lose your faith? But after that, Jesus used plenty of other examples that not only could have been directed to those original listeners, but to any of the followers who have followed in the 2,000 years since. 
when there are wars and insurrections, nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Jesus is wondering, would that level of insecurity, that kind of instability be the thing that causes you to lose your faith? Or how about natural tragedies? Things like powerful earthquakes, famines and plagues, these inexplicable, unpredictable things which take place suddenly and cause unbelievable heartache and stress and loss to people, both just and unjust, both the most devout of believers and to those who are not believers at all. Jesus asks, when those things occur, which they will in this still broken, imperfect world of ours, will those events cause you to lose your faith? Or somehow after all that, you still hang on and hang in there, even as the physical structure that you looked to as the foundation of your faith, the temple has disappeared, and all those wars and insurrections and lack of peace in the world reveals itself in a real and violent way. The natural disasters often mislabeled as acts of God occurs in your world. If after all that, you're hated and persecuted and maligned by those you were closest to in this world, family and friends, even to the point of death, all because of who you've chosen to follow, who you've placed your trust in, who you believe in, will that be your breaking point where you lose your faith? Far from happy thoughts, but to Jesus, they're real, they're legitimate, they're realities that each and every one of us has to face to one degree or another in our lives and in the lives of those who are closest to us. Just thinking around our our lives right now, whether it's the scandalous stuff that's happened in, in our church that makes us feel like our temple has been destroyed, or the division that we see among people in our nation or our world, or the horrific scenes of different natural catastrophes, or the renewed hostility towards anyone who professes or attempts to follow Christ and the teachings of the church sometimes even from people who are supposedly within the church. With all this happening, many are worried and fearful. They can do a a number on the strongest of believers. They can shake people to their core. And then when we just consider even more personal trials and struggles and addiction, difficulty at home or at work, a divorce, a, a health problem, a death, Those personal attacks on us and our lives can be just as, if not more devastating than all the things that the gospel lays out for us. And as we look around our our church this Sunday morning, we see there are fewer people here than there were just a few years ago. Pollsters tells us that at least some of those have expressed that they have lost their faith. But for those of us who are here, We're left with Jesus asking us, what will cause you to lose your faith? Will anything? A couple years ago, I heard this story about a woman named Mary Johnson. She was a devout Christian from Minnesota. And back in 1993, while at work, 
she received the call that is every parent's worst nightmare come true. Her son had been at a party, an argument broke out, and her son had been killed. When Mary got the news that the person they arrested for this heinous crime was a 16-year-old boy, she said, hate set in then and there. And she reflects on it saying, here I was, a Christian woman full of hatred. Can any of us blame her for feeling like that? Can any of us be confident we wouldn't have that same reaction? Especially as she describes the, the roller coaster of emotions that the trial was for her. First, she's glad to learn that the 16 year old would be tried as an adult for first degree murder, only to later become enraged when the judge decided to change the charge to second degree murder for the killer whose name was O'Shea Israel, whom she described as an animal that she wanted caged up for the rest of his life. During the trial, things got so bad, so heated, that she even needed to be restrained from going after O'Shea's mother. And after the trial, after his being sentenced to 25 years in prison, Mary talks about how the bitterness ran deep, the anger had set in, and she said, I hated everyone. I remained like that for years, driving many people away, including those who were closest to her. It seemed like her faith was gone. As the years passed by, though, at one point, she came upon this poem which changed her life. It was about an imaginary meeting between two mothers, one whose child had been murdered, and one whose child was responsible for the murder. And it was Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the mother of Judas Iscariot. Here it was 12 years later, after Mary Johnson first felt that hatred within her, had first called O'Shea an animal and wanted him caged up. And she said at that moment she knew what her Christian faith was calling her to do something she had not done, something that seemed impossible for this grieving mother to do. She needed to forgive O'Shea. So she reached out and asked to meet him, and for nine months, he turned her down, he turned the request down out of, out of fear, fear of what she was gonna say or, or do, or fear at how he might be perceived by his other prisoners and made vulnerable in that state prison. But eventually he agreed. And she describes in vivid detail the, the day that she went to go meet him. She said she even remembers the hand lotion that was given to her while she was waiting. The lotion was called Beyond Belief, which seemed incredibly appropriate. And the prisoner and the grieving mother met for over two hours. And Mary started by saying she didn't know him, he didn't know her, and she wanted to get to know him better. So Mary Johnson spoke about her son. O'Shea spoke about his life. And as the meeting came to a close, Mary Johnson looked O'Shea Israel in the eyes and said, I forgive you from the bottom of my heart. Shocked, O'Shea says to her, ma'am, how can you do that? And she simply broke down and started crying. 
and had trouble standing and almost fall. And to prevent her from falling, O'Shea grabbed onto her and ended up hugging Mary like he was, she was his own mother. After O'Shea went back to his cell, Mary Johnson just kind of sat shocked by the encounter saying, I just hugged the man who murdered my son. That's what the faith that she thought was gone did for her. She talked about how from that day on, the anger and the hatred and the animosity and the pain all left her. She had a new freedom and she had a new vision. Her faith in Jesus Christ had made her recognize that her son was in God's hands. And even more incredibly, she felt this responsibility now for O'Shea, who she called her spiritual son. She helped him to find housing upon his release from prison, ending up right next door to her. O'Shea describes that while he has humbly accepted Mary's forgiveness, he's still trying to forgive himself for what he did. And he does that by working with Mary on what they call the Forgiveness Project, as they go from location to location together, sharing their story. As soon as I heard that story, I wasn't sure if I'd ever had that kind of strength or faith. Heck, I don't even want to be in the position to find out. And I don't think Jesus set these things in motion so that they could find out for themselves either. But what Mary Johnson and O'Shea Israel have shared in their testimony and their witness is that even when they felt far from God's love, he never abandoned them or forgot them. Despite the incredible crushing grief and rage and anger and even hatred they felt, Jesus was never far from them or their lives. And when Mary was ready and when O'Shea was ready, that whole awful situation and both of them personally were transformed by Jesus Christ. They realized that their faith in Jesus Christ made them children of God and that that had never changed. Their identity was not grieving mother or murderous prisoner. No, their true identity was God's beloved daughter and God's beloved son. And under the most difficult seemingly unlikely of circumstances, that was an identity that they recognized in each other. The gospel passage we proclaimed ended with the words, by your perseverance, you will secure your lives. But what Mary and O'Shea testified to is how Jesus perseveres in his faith in each and every one of us. Jesus isn't sharing this challenging, difficult gospel to frighten us. He's telling us he knows how hard and how unfair and how unjust the world can be and how cruel people can be to one another. But Jesus is fair. He is just. And he loves us. And he loved us into existence and never stops to the point that he's worried about each and every hair on our head, as the gospel said. His unwavering faith in his father enabled him to carry and be nailed to a cross. And that faith was affirmed and vindicated as Jesus emerged from a tomb 
three days after that death. Well, that faith continues to bring healing and restoration and new life in all who continue to follow Jesus today. Thanks be to God, we are here today, despite whatever it is that we might be dealing with right now, whatever might cause you to doubt or cause you to waver or fear, even if we're here with a heavy and distracted heart, Jesus is rejoicing in that perseverance, encouraging us never to give up, ever, because he will never lose faith in us.